0: Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you.
1: Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, And in this HR Chat, we're going to hear from highly respected Silicon Valley turnaround expert, Thomas L. Stedding. And, and we're going to talk about his new book called Real Teams Win, What Smart Leaders Need to Know About Achieving Performance. Tom has been CEO of more than 12 high tech companies and active chairman of several others. Real Tim Wins provides a full cycle, top to bottom blueprint for achieving breakthrough results as the new leadership model. Based on his Silicon Valley experience, including as CEO of those dozen or so startup companies, Tom offers a comprehensive framework and toolkit to bring creativity, insight, and meaning to the workplace. And my goodness me, do we. Do we need that now more than ever, Tom? Tom, welcome to the show today. Thank you
0: very much. Nice to be here, Bill.
1: So before we get into uh, some of the, the key lessons and learnings from your new book, Real Teams Win, I, I'd, I'd love for you to just take a couple of minutes now, Tom, and introduce yourself a bit more to our audience. Tell them about your career background and what you get up to. Sure, i would be, be, be delighted.
0: Uh, I, I describe myself as a recovering geek. I did a PhD in electrical engineering control theory at Berkeley um, and joined a company coming out of school that was a Stanford Research Institute spin out. There were 85 employees and 65 PhDs. So I lived in that rarefied atmosphere for the first 12 or so years of my career. Um, As Hayakawa said back then, it takes you 10 years to get over a PhD. So at about 10 year point, I was looking around for the next thing to do, and I discovered the Stanford Sloan program. This is a mid-career uh, Sloan program in the School of Business, and I applied and got accepted. So I spent a year at, at Stanford, um, which for me was kind of like a religious uh, conversion. And um, then I proceeded, I've been interested in leadership, and my career could be described as a sequence, of a journey in depth, starting out at the you know very esoteric, Control theory, optimal control uh, level, but interested in leadership. And uh, the first thing I recognize is optimal and control are neither; either of those are appropriate for leadership. So I started to look further, and I discovered strategy at Stanford. And I thought, kind of um, thought that was really cool stuff. And I became a strategist, in the, including with working with British Petroleum had acquired our company, we are part of a 3,000-person business stream in IT, and I became a lead strategic thinker with that activity. And I thought strategy was really cool, but I finally realized that um, it's kind of necessary, but it's not sufficient, and the problem is that people don't – you can lay out the plan, but it doesn't mean that people are going to do it. And uh, one of the problems is it's hard to grow an organization without people. So you better address the people problem. And then I got into uh, project management and operational management issues. Eventually got into, uh, started doing startups, got into building, um, value-based culture around the notion of trust. And in that case, that was an encryption, notorious encryption company called pretty good privacy was doing a lot, and they had a trust model for what they did, so that was a relevant concept. Um, and, and, and created an environment in that team that was extraordinary and creative, but we had other problems that kind of tripped us up a bit. And then I went on from there, and I was still looking further. I wrote a book on tr- called Built on Trust. Uh, it was one of the original first treatments about the value of earned trust for team performance and that did quite well and but again i still had this nagging doubt that um you could tell people what to do and if they did it it would work but why what, what keeps them from doing it so i wanted to go deeper and i discovered a partner uh, This is around uh, 2000 or thereabouts and um, he was down to a deeper layer and so you can see the descent. I'm a slow learner. It takes me 10 years to figure out something. And I go to the next level, the next level, and it's in the direction is downward, into the uh, into the hidden factors in the organization. We call it the hidden to be revealed. These are factors, and I've never seen an instance where there's not a hidden factor in the system that's it's ruling outcome. It has power because it's unacknowledged. Um, got down to defining the mindset layer, uh, which sits actually below culture, and uh, culture has become recognized as a critical factor more and more over time. And uh, now people have come around to recognize the, the bromide that culture eats strategy for for lunch, which is true if you if you have, which is consistent with the path I was on it's really about uh, you know p- how people behave. But there's a layer below that we've defined, it's called mindset. And the mindset layer uh, really drives culture. And in fact, we now say you cannot talk about culture, and people have a lot of trouble defining their culture, what they mean by culture anyway. But you can't talk about culture without actually first talking about mindset. And we say now mindset eats culture for breakfast. So this introduces a whole new layer of of concepts that we think is very critical for building high performance teams. And um, just to give a little bit more on that, and and Bill, cut me off here if I'm rambling too much, but um, there are four archetypal dimensions of culture, for example, uh, courage, agility, relatedness, and awareness. And over more than a decade using that model, uh gives you a clear assessment of mindset the mindset's what's going on the in the between the ears of uh, the leadership culture is what's going on between people on the team so similar model but this is an internal factor and these dimensions have an emotional and intellectual dimension so um intellectual awareness is you know understand the marketplace and the competition and and all the you know strategic factors that you have to deal with as a ceo but the emotional awareness is understanding what's going on on the team and where people's heads are and whether they trust each other and whether they're open they're honoring commitments or whether there's background uh, buzz or gossip or slippage and those kinds of factors so that's that's kind of where i've been in my career and i got to the point where we developed this methodology sufficiently and completely enough, we just, I was grabbed by the scruff of the neck. I had to write this book, so that's how we got to today. So real teams wins,
1: it it describes how to create the connected team and driving creative collaboration for both high performance and enhanced quality of experience amongst other things. And we're now going to, we're going to delve into. Some of those lessons so you've set it up for us you've given us the background and you told us the, the why of the book but now let's let's <laughs> get into let's get into what folk can can expect when they get a copy of it sure um so the, the first the first lesson the first concept that i'd like to explore with you if you can maybe take a, a minute or so now and uh explain that to our listeners is is the idea of the the new leadership model
0: sure absolutely we talk about the new leadership model replacing the increasingly obsolete hierarchical, uh, tell-and-sell, command-and-control, top-down model um, that served us well for a long time. It started with uh, uh, back in uh, you know time studies and that sort of thing, viewing the organization as a machine, external, nothing about the internal life of the team. The new leadership model is focused on. It's more of a it's more of a network than a hierarchy. It's. Um, based on an open collaborative style with creative collaboration as a central organizing principle. <clears throat> it involves creating an environment, promoting access to the deep imagination and to promoting creativity. Um, this is an environment that relies on, but going beyond the currently recognized importance of psychological safety. And that's been an issue, for example, um, that's been identified as a critical factor. Google did a a huge survey and discovered that psychological safety was a number one factor promoting innovation. But we talk about that, and uh, what we talk about includes that. But we go beyond that. There are a very subtle set of principles and practices to create an environment where people are willing to participate in an open and creative way. Um, and that's the art form of creating that environment that is at the heart of the book's promise.
1: You're suggesting then that that's the role of the leader to create that open and safe environment to, to foster innovation. So it's, it's top down. When when and how should the HR department get involved with that when we're talking about making, making a safe and productive Team spirit, uh, full of camaraderie, you know, full, full of um, uh, being safe enough to feel like they can take risks and and innovate. Uh, when, when does the HR department fit in with that?
0: A great question. I've always thought of the HR department as the owner of the culture, and uh, to move beyond the traditional and now antiquated role of the you know um, enforcement, um, you know, the HR cops role, into something that is part of creating the. Um, you know a high performance culture so the way this would work we the process involves uh, three principles four practices a three-layer model i've alluded to that a little bit some process and you can train it in a you know day and then what happens is you probably get a written statement of operating principles based on the training And you come back to it constantly. I do weekly all hands meetings and I always refer to the principles. Everybody has, by the way, people have a chance to, everybody has the chance to contribute to the editing of that statement of principles. And you refer back to it constantly until it gets embedded. So the HR function is to reinforce that process, to participate from the beginning, to understand the methodology, to help, Coach people as they trying to figure out you know how to comply. It's it's like the game of Go. You can l- lay out the rules fairly easily, and it takes time to get more and more effective at it. Um, Mike Nelson, the former uh, vice president of global communications and public affairs at Google, says the book delves into the dynamics of leadership and network and teamwork, and shows that true leadership may not be what you think it is. So HR Role is to help people understand this new model and become familiar with it and support it uh, as a way of ensuring its full uh, compliance and and, and um, migration across the entire uh, organization. Okay, thank you. Um, let's let's have a look at another
1: another concept, something else that you talk about. And um, I, I think you briefly mentioned. Uh, this this idea of um, different layers uh, so uh the concept of the, the, the hidden to be revealed the, the new mindset layer can you can you uh ex- explain that one to our listeners a bit more
0: so the the mindset layer is w- where those hidden factors reside and following the uh if you adopt the mindset principles as defined by those four archetypal dimensions you create an open dialogue that can just discover and articulate those factors. The um, uh, the thing I keep saying in the book is that one of the hardest things to do is to get the executive team to see reality as it really is. It's a very difficult task because they often, um, in fact, we talk about the uh, issue of, um, and I've got something here and I wanna uh, access here um, is that um, one of the principles is that the idea that most persistent problems, and the keyword is persistent, have a psychological root. So there's something underneath the surface that is causing dysfunctionality. And part of the executive team dialogue needs to be able to get to that and the leadership needs to see those underlying factors. And I've never walked into and taken over an organization where there wasn't some hidden factor um, at work. For example, um, the former CEO's mother told him that she would kill him if he weren't CEO. Well, uh under the threat of extinction you can imagine that there's a certain distorting of effect on risk taking or other parts of leadership that might have a limiting effect and so you'd have to understand that that factor's at work and be able to deal with it appropriately
1: let's now talk a bit more about some of the other you know, the other key takeaways then um so being in, being in tune with getting insight into people's, that a, a pretty uh, startling e- example is, is absolutely key to this. But yeah, you know, how how do you make that connection? Uh, what, what are the, what are some lessons that you you offer in the new book around being more emotionally in, intelligent and perhaps being more more receptive, being more present, and and then the the things right. that a leader can learn from from those practices.
0: A couple of things about that that are. Really core. One is that um, this idea of um, non attachment. And so, this is um, w- we think that uh, idealized uh, expectations, or is more pejoratively put, idealized fantasies are a major obstacle to critical aberration and team performance. And this is when somebody dogmatically holds on to their point of view and says, This is the way the world should be. And they refused to budge in a creative dialogue. I had a VP of marketing, she's great. Um, and we had that meeting going on about a certain topic, we're trying to make a decision about it. And she pounded the table and said, We have to make this decision by September or else. That's a dogmatic statement. And what happens when people make dogmatic statements is that our creative collaboration stops. It brings a halt to any creative dialogue. So there's a big focus on um, what we call cancer of the mind, which is idealized fantasies, idealized expectations, and on dogmatic thinking. And at the root is narcissism. So narcissism is what drives uh, dogmatic thinking. Dogmatic thinking is what uh, kills critical collaboration. So there's a sense that what's required is surrender of the ego in the leadership. And you can't operate from an ego position and you've got to encourage the team, especially the leadership, to be able to be open to other people's point of view, not be holding on to your idealized fantasies and understand when you're being dogmatic and therefore not when when you're an obstacle to uh, the creative collaboration and, and performance of the team that you're looking for
1: okay once the leader has has understood that what, what is the uh, what what are the what are the tools that a leader can use to to then create that happier safer work environment which is then you know, going to be hopefully more prone to innovation and uh, longevity of its employees, higher retention rates, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about about the ideas of the the methods for self regulation
0: and cultural transformation. Sure. That, that toolkit. One of the the most powerful aspects of this method is what we call empathy challenge, and this is how to, how do you have a creative uh, dialogue uh, that actually goes somewhere and doesn't end up and the useless uh, agree to disagree and the way this works uh, and it works fabulously well is uh, it's both empathy and challenge so you start out one person allows and you can you can come together knowing that you disagreed even strongly about something one person is allowed to present the point of view Uh, without interruption, with encouragement to continue until they've exhausted that perspective in their their point of view. And then the other person uh, does something that it's really the critical step, uh, which is to uh, state out loud, has to be out loud, something about that original person's point of view that they can agree with. And it could even be something as simple as I can see how you feel that way, or I can see how you got to that perspective. But this is experienced by the second person as a uh, defeat of the ego. You just gave ground. But what it does for the first person is that they feel seen and heard, which is one of the major things that has to be done to support team performance. People have to feel seen and heard. They have to also be recognized for what, they want to make a contribution, they'd be recognized for their contribution. So the first person feels seen and heard. Then you switch uh, roles and repeat uh, the second way. At the end of that, what happens is you have two people that have internalized their two perspectives in their individual heads. And that sets up for um, a convergence to a third approach. And it works like magic. An example, we we had a team that was stuck for nine months on a product decision because the VP of product development and the VP of technical support were in conflict on this whole thing and they hated each other. And we went through this process and we resolved that problem and got to a decision in 20 minutes. So it's empathy, but it's also challenge. The challenge part is to say, if the other person is resisting and saying, you know, insisting on their point of view, you can say, look, I want you to show up In this conversation, and I want to deal with this issue now, and I can show you, I can talk examples about how, you know, in the dialogue between the CEO and the VP of sales, she would say, well, I, you know, last year I was doing something, you know, I did this, and the answer was yes, uh, we appreciate what you did last year, that's empathy, and I want you to show up and talk about this issue that's going on with you. In the office place today, and I want you to resolve it. where Are you willing to do it? That's the challenge part of it. So empathy challenges. I think one of the great contributions of the of the book to actually even at a global level in our world today.
1: Okay, wonderful. Um, before we wrap things up today, uh, in in sixty seconds or less, Tom, for 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 mm-hmm. our listeners out there, um, maybe maybe you can sort of just summarize the the. Discussion that we've had today by um, just telling our listeners again a little bit about what those key lessons are from the book and um, how how it can how, how it can help leaders and and develop teams.
0: Sure, absolutely. Um, so I think the summary is um, we haven't talked about practices. There are four practices. Um, the the top level are the three principles: complementarity, empathy, and non attachment. We talked some about non attachment, a little bit about empathy, but not very much. So, understanding those are the starting point, the underlying principles that drive everything. And the four practices are communication, collaboration, collaboration, closure, and commitment. Um, And those are kind of art forms. They sound like normal practices, but in fact, there's a lot of art form to actually how those are done. And then there's a three layer model that helps you understand and diagnose what's going on in the system. And there's some other material and process and how you go from. The early stage creative process all the way through execution and delivery
1: excellent thank you and just finally how can our listeners connect with you tom now uh, whether that's through linkedin twitter wherever else that might be and uh also the the books going are coming out on uh, december 1st so where whereabouts can they can they get a copy I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be on amazon and all those other
0: wonderful publishing sites that's right. It's it's currently, it's already on Amazon. It's on uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's available for pre-order today. Uh, the best way to get me is via my LinkedIn account. Uh, you just search on my name and you can find me, send me in a LinkedIn message. I I monitor that constantly.
1: Great. Well, Tom Stedding, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show.
0: Thank you very much. Enjoyed it very much.
1: And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working and stay safe.